Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I felt like everything was working as I looked at the, uh, what do you call it, the pitch count thing. Throwing a lot of strikes today. Getting ahead of a lot of batters, especially with all, all my pitches today. We pulled that curveball today, so that was cool to see, you know, throw it in there. Put it in the back of the head, then, you know, curveball. So let my fastball play a little better tonight. You mentioned the curveball. Um, if you'd only thrown it five times entering today, you threw it five times just today. Um, have you been working on that at all? You know, adding it more into your repertoire? Yeah, I've been working on it, trying to obviously get it game ready through today. I threw, I'd say, probably what, three or four good ones, and then one that almost the guy in the head. Um, but no, just being able to have a pitch that starts top of the zone to get him off my fastball up in the zone, you know, really, I guess, secondary reads. In the, in, the, in the box and allow my fastball to play a little better. Last time, you had a slow start and then settled in. This time, no slow start. Did you feel any different or, or better or different in any way this time? No. I mean, things don't change. Mentality doesn't change. Just going out there and just fill up the zone. That's about it. Each start here, you're going deeper and deeper in the game and raise your pitch count, too. I'm just wondering, you think you've raised kind of their trust level as far as Hey, you know, we'll let him face the order the third time through. You know, yeah. I mean, the situation called for it. I mean, yeah. low pitch count, um, and we had two run leads, so why not? I, I mean, I would think why not let me go. I wanted to go out again. Obviously, didn't get through the seventh, but gave it the best I did. But you know, obviously the goal is to go deep in the game, save the bullpen, save the arms. So glad I could, I guess, go to go to distance in a way.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, April the 25th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Yes, I come to you with this short on this Monday as you start your week. Early Monday morning after the Mets have just taken two out of three from the Arizona Diamondbacks to start their second road trip of the season. And you probably ask, well, you know, I listened to you after the series of the Giants, Mike, and you said, hey, we'll see you on Wednesday after the end of the road trip. And that was my intention. But after watching Tyler McGill yesterday and watching David Peterson on Friday, and the name of the show is the Tyler McGill Experience I felt compelled to do this short because first I like coming to you. And as we continue to evolve here with this show, I think the regular season, as you hit certain points and there are certain things that come out, I think it warrants jumping in with a short. We've done this in the past and they're hard to predict because sometimes the news cycle is hard to predict. And I always look at this show as a certain flow. Every show bleeds into the next and there's a theme And you want to touch on all the major points and opinions that you want to get out there to give you the best experience possible. And sometimes waiting a week doesn't do that. I will tease a little bit before I end this uh, short podcast what the plan is and and who the guest will be because it will be a co-hosted show on Wednesday. So I'm not going to get too deep into the series with Arizona. Really, what you saw the Mets do, that's what taking care of business. Remember? What was it, the 2006 Mets, their uh, post-game song after they would win a game at uh, Shea Stadium was taking care of business. It was a very business-like approach by that team. Go out, win a series, win a game. Sometimes it'd be pretty, sometimes it'd be dominant, sometimes it wouldn't be uh, very pretty, but they got the job done. And I think you saw that uh, over the weekend. Now, yesterday, similar to what you saw in the getaway day game against the Giants, we'll start there, and, and Tyler McGill had everything to do with it. That, again, is the blueprint, how you want this team to win a ball game. Home, especially on the road, anytime. You want your starters going into the 6th, 7th inning, preferably the 7th. You want to hand it over to the bullpen where they don't have to get really more than 7 to 9 outs max. 6 outs, that's a dream. Yesterday, that was 7. And I think the exciting thing you see, and you heard McGill as you were coming into the show, you heard his comments is not only just the confidence that he's expressing as you hear him talk, but that he's actually trying to evolve as a pitcher. And if you don't think having the kind of guys around him, like a Chris Bassett, like a Max Scherzer, and if you look at that dugout and you watch, watch during the game, guys like McGill and David Peterson, who are they hanging out around? Bassett seems to always be around. Scherzer's always seems to be around as well. You saw, I think it was after the Washington game, or no, maybe it was the Philadelphia start that McGill had. Bassett was sitting with him and and going through his repertoire on the iPad, giving him some advice. And, I, you know, I was going to Baseball Savant 
because I wanted to see what they thought of and how they charted McGill's repertoire. As I watched yesterday, Ron Darling pointed this out later in the broadcast. The exciting thing about McGill is that as he went through the first, second, third time around the order, he was mixing things up a little bit more, and he talked in, in the clip about how he's trying to put that curveball in. Now, according to Baseball Savant, he throws his curveball very few times. I don't think they counted anything yesterday as a curveball. Last year, he only threw it 45 times. I believe the reporter, and I don't know who asked that question, said he only had thrown it five times going into today. And this looks like it's been updated with yesterday's ball game. It says he didn't throw any curveballs. I'm not sure. doesn't matter. But here's a guy that my main concern, as you were, um, and I believe I've said this, and I've talked to scouts who saw him in college, that he's a fastball changeup guy. And typically those guys are relievers because you don't want to go around the order uh, more than once with them. Forget, you know, maybe twice. And a reliever, you could only see them maybe for three batters, maybe four or five. And it's easier to get away with that repertoire. He's also got a slider. And the slider, in a lot of ways, is almost one-to-one now with his fastball. So it makes that fastball even that much more effective when they have something else to think about. I, I believe my junior pitching coach, as I put my junior pitching coach hat on, I think he's locating his fastball much better. I think as he goes up and down the lineup, he's trying different locations with that. His his changeup and his slider were nasty at times. Real nasty. Um, I think the the the... The repeatability of his mechanics look very solid. Tyler McGill, to me, might be, out of all the good things that we've experienced here early in this 2022 Mets season, and I said this going into the road trip, the offense has been good, and the magic number was hit in the two wins of five-plus runs a game, but the offense hasn't really taken off. We did a show, and I'm not going to get into the bullpen today and Bucks management of the bullpen because I know that that's going to be a, that's going to be a big topic all year. The bullpen hasn't been great; it's been serviceable. It's had some moments, still a lot of walks coming out of the bullpen. But the big story is this: yeah, the starting pitching has been dominant. It's been historically dominant. But you expected Scherzer to be really great, and really, you expected Bassett to be very good. And a lot of people, maybe not me know the history of Carlos Carrasco. Here's a guy that has gotten Cy Young Award votes. So are you really surprised if you were a Carlos Carrasco believer that he's been good? So put those guys aside. I think the concern you had is you didn't know what you were going to get out of the back half, when, especially when Walker went down. DeGrom going down was code red, our first thunderbolt of 2022. How are you going to survive? You know, best case scenario is back June 1st. He might be out the first half. How are they going to survive? And here you have a guy in McGill who, by the way, is right there with Carrasco, is walking the least amount of batters on the staff. His walk rate is way down. And to me, that's where it all starts. He's cut his walks basically more than in half. And that's huge. And you could listen to him about the maturation He's not surprised at what he's doing. He's completely comfortable in being there. And I know they've compared him to DeGrom and a young DeGrom, and I hate when people do things like that because DeGrom always showed promise. I always liked DeGrom as he developed into the rookie of the year and then to the pitcher that he he became. Did I think he was going to be all-world like that level, have a, a challenge Bob Gibson for the lowest ERA in his season? No, I didn't think that. Nobody thought that. I always just say he reminds me of David Cohen. A lot of moxie, competes, gives you quality innings even when he doesn't have his best stuff. 
I'm not going to say that about McGill, but there is a lot to be excited about, about a guy that got no real love on any prospect list or was talked about. And the exciting thing is, is that not only he can give you that blueprint, you're starting to see a guy. We have to see him go around the league now. You know, he has to go around the league and see teams one, two, three times because they're going to get a book on him and he's going to have to adapt and adjust. And look, he may not be in this rotation in a few weeks. Like big day today in Metsville. Jacob DeGrom's going for that MRI. Today you're going to get some news by the end of the day, maybe early tomorrow, the latest pregame with Buck on Tuesday. I know they're going to be hounding him today about what, the status of DeGrom's MRI is and how he's progressing because ultimately that's where this rotation then gets to the a crazy level, an excitingly crazy level. You know, McGill might not be in this rotation, but what's good about it is that now you're starting to see first competition. Competition always makes everybody better. It's going to make Walker better. It's going to make everybody better. And your six and seven guys, because in a normal healthy rotation, McGill is six, Peterson seven. You now have, and I'm not as sold on Peterson, but I'll give you a little bit about him because he's starting to get my attention as the guy I saw with the moxie and and the serviceability that he showed in 2020. When you go that seven deep, you're in a good place because now you got two guys that could potentially do double headers, that could potentially sub in. And in the case of McGill, that's going to be a guy that Peter said it stunk that he got sent down, but that's paperwork. He's coming back for the main third doubleheader. They needed an arm. I agree. I think it's better for him to not to be coming out of the bullpen here and making some regular, I guess, at least one regular turn in Syracuse. Uh, you know, McGill's a guy that you're like, this guy belongs to rotation, and, and I guarantee you, if he continues this going into Memorial Day or after, depending on whatever... DeGrom comes back, and assuming that Walker is the six-inning, three-run guy that we think he is, there's going to be debate about why Walker's staying in rotation and McGill's not. And that's a good, healthy, fun debate for a team that has championship, at the very least, playoff aspirations. So I think what you saw is the blueprint again of how this team is successful and how you can mitigate maybe a bullpen that has some guys that you don't, not maybe, there's some guys that you don't trust yet. It's definitely a bullpen that I get concerned about overuse. They don't have that everyday stable, rely on guy like Loop that you had last year. There's a little bit of mix and matching that Buck has to do that he's still trying to figure out. So if you get seven innings, and you should get that out of Scherzer, you should be able to get that out of Bassett. Uh, I think Carrasco could do it. I mean, he's done it in his career. He's a little older, and he's coming off of not pitching so many innings the last few years, so that they may have to limit him as time goes on. And to a certain degree, McGill falls into that because of the innings jump he had last year. But if you, for the most part, in close games, when you don't want to just pull them, uh, you got you got four guys now that get into the seventh inning. And, and Peterson did that uh, into the sixth. And I know everyone's going to say, well, he was, you know, it was a little dunk that two outs, nobody on, a little dunk that Nimmo couldn't handle, and they took him out. I don't have a problem with that because Matt Davidson, right-handed power hitter against Peterson, the last thing you want to do is leave him in a batter too long against a good, uh, well, maybe not a good right-handed hitter, but a guy that historically in his career hits lefties really well. 
You don't want to ruin the night on that. So that was the right play. With McGill, it was the right play to push him. And it's funny that Buck brought up that maybe he'd get into the eighth because I said if he could get a quick third out here in the seventh, push him into the eighth. I mean, ultimately, my vision for all these pitchers, all of them, that includes DeGrom, whatever. I mean, we know Scherzer's going to want to do it. I think ultimately you'd love to see them do 110. I'd love to see pitchers get to 120 pitches. I don't see any reason. And maybe it's not every start. And you have to monitor how they are and where they are and how they feel. There's a lot of back-end, under-the-hood stuff that goes into that. But in, in, in practice, in theory, sitting on your tush watching this and, and assessing this, 120 pitches is what these guys should be able to do. They all should be able to do it. Now, if you don't like the third time around the order and you're concerned about that, I get that. But sometimes where we get a little bit too clever by a half is that you got a guy cruising well, the numbers indicate that he can't go the third time around the order. Well, give him a chance. You had a little, and you had a little bit of a cushion. You had a three-run lead yesterday. That is exactly what a good manager with some big-picture thought process, not the, you know, I'm going to be a total slave to the, to the data. If McGill is going to become a mid-rotation and, dare we dream, top of the rotation, number two maybe, type of pitcher, He's got to learn early to pitch the third time around the order, and he's got to push himself to 100, 110. Like I said, let's dream 120. I'm not sure that that, that's going to be the case. I think that that becomes crazy time in modern baseball. I think Buck absolutely is on board with that. Is the front office with Billy Epler and the Adata guys? I don't know yet. I know there's a segment of the fan base that will never, ever, ever. That's like you might as well use a four-letter word. You might as, that's about as controversial as anything you could talk about. So, you know, to me, this road trip and beating Arizona, which is what they should do to a club that second division club can't really hit, but a pesky, you know, it's not a, it's a club that the starting pitching hasn't been that bad. And I really liked all three of the starters they threw out there. Gallon, I've always liked, uh, you know, Bumgarner. I mean, there's a guy, If you, I wonder, with a couple of years left on the contract, if they're out of, out of contention, is that a guy they put on the block that a contender goes and, and, and comes after? He's not going to be the bum garner that shut the Mets down in the postseason. And maybe only, I'm surprised they took him out after five. But maybe maybe they're building him up. I mean, there's a guy that I thought could go six, seven. Maybe they got data at this point in his career that the third time around the order, whatever. You know how this all goes. Um and Castellanos, a guy who throws a lot of uh, off-speed, you know, mix and match. I mean, those three guys were tough. It wasn't an easy series. I know because the club is not good and they can't hit. They got a couple of bats in that lineup, especially at home. I mean, it's not that's not a rollover series. So this is, is I believe, the fact that both Peterson and McGill went out to the desert where the ball flies off the bat and beat this team on the road. And Peterson should have probably gotten, not should have, he should have gotten a win too. To me, that's that's exciting. Now, the other thing about McGill is that if he's starting to really develop a slider and maybe a curveball, you're looking at a guy with three, maybe four pitches. Peterson, what's exciting about Peterson, and I'll throw him in there, is, and I went to Baseball Savant, you could do the same thing as well. Looking at some of the peripheral data, a lot of his good data, and I think the success with Peterson is not that he's he walks a little bit too many batters. He's up over three per nine. He's not a strikeout machine. He never was advertised as that. And I think sometimes when guys start to strike out a lot of batters, and you heard them talk about McGill got excited. Let me start throwing 100. Don't become Noah Syndergaard back in 2017 who wanted to throw through a brick wall every time because then he got hurt. 
You don't have to throw 100. 95, 96, 97 is plenty. And guess what? This day and age, velocity is like three-pointers in the NBA. Everybody can throw hard, so the batter gets used to it. And if you don't throw hard, you're looked at as a, uh, you know, the, you're looked at as the oddball. I think to be, a, I think one day you're going to see a guy with off-speed repertoire come in and and dazzle someone, and all of a sudden it's going to be all the, all the oh, this is an interesting development. Maybe we should have guys throw uh, different speeds and different angles. Yeah, like something that happened for from forever. But going back to Peterson, he's not throwing hard, making a lot of soft contact. And the data shows as you go, his exit velocity has dropped back to where it was in 2020 during the pandemic season. Uh, You know, his ERA is a guy you expect. That's a guy who's a perfect six inning, five inning, two runs, six inning, three run guy. Uh, His walks are down uh, from where they were. And his strikeout rate uh, is back to where it was. It was very high last year. It's back to where it was. You know, I think Peterson is a guy that uh, had a couple injuries. We knew about the foot problem, but it looks like last year he wasn't himself for a variety of reasons. But he's really, I don't think he's as good as what you've seen. Uh, You know, he pitched in that Easter uh, football weather. That certainly helped him on that Sunday. But if you can get a guy that's your six or seven guy, six innings, three runs, you take it. Lefty, with some upside, I don't think, and everybody who has seen Peterson for a long time has told me, He's not going to be a guy that's a top-of-the-rotation guy. He's a back-end-of-the-rotation guy. But that's okay. These are young, controlled guys. The Mets could go out there and rely on them. They could shuttle them. Not ideal sending these guys down, but you could shuttle them so you don't have to worry about losing them to waivers. And uh, it gives you the time. And the most important thing is it gives you the time to figure out what you have with the Grom. One of the more exciting things that has happened... And a lot of that has to do with McGill and Peterson. Not a lot, most of it. Is that we talked about during the, the, the show, which was labeled Play Better. We can't, you know, Buck Schultz is not a guy, nor should this team be a, a, a team that hangs their head, gets their Doppler down, and feels sorry for themselves. And you don't want to hear them say, well, everything is going to be okay until DeGrom gets back. We'll be okay until DeGrom gets back. Let's just hold the fort till DeGrom gets back. Until yesterday, when it was known that he was going for an MRI, you haven't heard DeGrom talked about it at all. I bet you, and be honest, think about this, and if you want to let me know over an email or at Mike Silver Media on Twitter, you can tell me. I won't tell anybody. Be honest. For the first almost 20 games now, you're not thinking about DeGrom a lot. You're Now, winning plays into that. But I bet you there's been times where you've been assessing this team and looking at this team and and getting excited about McGill and Carrasco and Bassett and the starters and how good they've been. And I don't think you're thinking about DeGrom. I know you're thinking about the bullpen. I know you're agitated sometimes with Buck, who, by the way, I am going to tell you, Jolie Rodriguez again yesterday. I wasn't so crazy about him coming into a four-run game like, oh, this is going to be dicey. Got to trust that the guy knows. There's a reason why they went after him. We know it's because he's lefty. They didn't give up anything special for him. There's something they like about him. And you know what? Look at Garrett Whitlock over in Boston. That was a ex-Yankee that the Red Sox scored off of Rule 5. Brian Cashman's got a couple of E's on his ledger lately. So maybe the Mets stole one. I'm probably, I'm not comparing him to Whitlock. Whitlock has been at another level, but you get where I'm going. So I think that's, to me, to summarize really, 
and to leave you with this. There's the blueprint. And McGill being able to do the blueprint, not Bassett, not Carrasco. I mean, Scherzer, that's a given. That's tonight. McGill being able to do the blueprint. Peterson trying to do the blueprint. And guess what? McGill doing it when the bullpen had to be taxed on Friday in a game that shouldn't have been taxed and then had to have a bullpen game on Saturday. I mean, what more could you ask? That's a veteran performance. Again, second division club, but in the desert. They're at home. And and here's another thing. The team, I think they were hitting like a buck 90 as a team. They're still big league players. Even though they're a team that could lose, or last year they lost 110 games, even teams that lose 100 games or, or have the potential to lose 100 games, they're still big league hitters. They are still under-indexed. And what happens when a team or a player is under-indexed? The buck 90 team is starts at 300-plus and starts to percolate because they're just trying to average things out. They're going to get their hits. If they're a 230, 240 hitting team, they're going to be that. Whether they get them all in one shot or little by little, or a little bit at the beginning and a lot at the end, they're going to be that. That's what baseball has been since the beginning of time. That's why it's a numbers-driven game. So sit back, relax, enjoy this run. Mets off to a 2-1 start. Uh, the, the goal in the road trip is always to win road trips 4-2. and two. At the very least, they go and play a tough Cardinals team in a tough ballpark in St. Louis. They get to see their former teammate, Stephen Matz. And if they could get one... Uh, they they guarantee a 500 road trip, but get greedy. Let's see what this team, let's see. This is another test game. They had the test series against the Giants, and they passed. They've already won a road trip. They went into Philadelphia, and we, I know Philly was kind of a test series, but they're a weird team. Can't figure Philly out. I, I don't think they're a bad team. I certainly think they're a team that's going to be a winning record, and they're going to be a pesty team. But this is a Cardinals team that made the playoffs, played great down the stretch, has a good home field advantage. And let's see. Let's see. They're playing, uh, facing Miles Mikolos, who's having a great start to the year. They got Steven Math. They're facing Jordan Hicks, who's a starter now. This is a test series. So when will you hear from me next? So you got this little bonus surprise talking Mets podcast. Well, I'll be back with you Wednesday, probably very late. What might not drop till early Thursday morning, but definitely Wednesday. Going to have Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated co-host with me. We've talked about it. We've been trying to connect for a while. Pat covers the team. I do not believe he's on the road trip, but he definitely covers the games at City Field, and he tries to get down to like the local areas. SI will send them like Philly, like DC, places like that, and uh, we'll get the take from somebody who's been around the club. So it should be interesting. That's the plan. Pat and I have the plan to do that. Let's hope we can keep that on schedule. In any event. The end of the road trip will lead to another show. And I think that that's what I wanted to get out to you as well is that, yes, we're going to do the Sunday show. That's the plan. Mets play a baseball night, uh, a Saturday, Sunday night baseball game this Sunday. But as we look at the schedule, as the schedule develops, as off days come, as news develops, I think it's important to do these kind of things. And look, McGill and Peterson deserve their own little McGill especially show here. Just look at the, the numbers. The numbers are trending in the right direction. And... You know, Peterson, it's nothing sexy. Just going out there and getting outs. I mean, sometimes making contact, making good pitches, locating your pitches will do a tremendous amount to you. And maybe with Tyler McGill, we're starting to see the evolution of a really good big league pitcher. I hate to compare, but doesn't it give you kind of a little of that 2014 DeGrom in you? And he, I don't, I'm not saying he'll be DeGrom like DeGrom is now. If he's DeGrom in 14 or DeGrom in 15, 
or maybe even DeGrom, even before he got hurt in 2016, but DeGrom was a very good pitcher, but you weren't looking Cy Young. You could develop in that in that pool of the pitching scenario. Wow, you just got yourself a dream. Those are the kind of players that you need to go out and give up prospect capital for or sign big free agent contracts to. Not guys that should be, you know, you just got something thrown in your lap. Mets, it's been a long time since they developed guys. That's been a big criticism. Always the bullpen's been an issue, but that's a separate story. But that's where we're at. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this Monday morning to a Talking Mets short. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast after the road trip on Wednesday. Till then, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.